Hello, Freedom Church. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you before, my name is Stephen. I'm part of the team here at 3CI, and I just want to say a massive thank you for this incredible privilege. For me, this is bucket list stuff. 2020's had a few bucket list moments, some of them up, some of them downs, like I had uh, morphine for the first time. That was on my bucket list. I also had Daryl in my home for the first time. That was on my bucket list. You know, he, he only really fellowships up. So to have him in my home was a massive moment for my family and I. But uh, even more so, this incredible privilege to join you at Freedom Church this week. It really has been a bucket list moment for me because I kind of get the idea of what Paul must have felt like when he was writing to the Romans. The guys in Rome he'd never been to or met before, but he'd heard of them and been praying for them. And that's very much the position I find myself in this week because we have watched your journey. We've journeyed with Daryl and Michelle. We've, We've seen how God has restored them and released them. I personally have been praying much for you as a church as a people, praying for your leaders. And so I just want to say thank you for having me. This really is a blessing for me and I trust it will be for you as well. I actually want to dig into something that Daryl himself asked me uh, when he came to visit. So basically what happened was about two months ago, I was in a big accident and I was staring at the ceiling for a couple of weeks and he popped in. And while he was there, he asked a question that many people had asked when they came to visit. And that was this, what is God saying? Or what is he doing at this time? I don't know if you remember that uh, moment you probably had right at the very beginning of lockdown when all of a sudden God started doing stuffs inside of you. You know, you're worried about finances and where's God in all of this and how are we going to get through it? And he gets under your skin and, and maybe started speaking to you through scripture or people or moments. And God was doing that when Daryl popped in. And I actually want to share a little bit of what I shared with him and unpack that this morning from a rather obscure verse. One of the moments that I had uh, during, for me, lockdown 2.0, was uh, an encounter with Hebrews chapter 10. And it's a very familiar portion of scripture. I've heard it from a young age when I used to come home from a party way too late at night. And my mom would be waking me up for church on Sunday morning. And she would always quote Hebrews 10.25, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. But I was busy reading through Hebrews 10 during lockdown 2.0, and I'd now started going through my second disconnect from community when that verse jumped out at me because of the fact that it refers to us not gathering together. But what really got my attention and what I want to go after this week is what it says after the comma, because it's a little bit of an anticlimax. It says, don't don't neglect gathering together. And I'm thinking, rather, let's gather together. Let's pray for the nation. Let's call down fire on this disease. Let's ask for healing. But it doesn't say that. Or maybe, you know, let's not neglect gathering together. Instead, let us come together and hear the word of God and unpack scripture. But it doesn't say that. Take a look at what it says. I'll read to you from the Passion Translation, just because it gives a breath of fresh air to this verse. Starts off, Hebrews 10.25. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing. Hello, 2020. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, comma, Look at this, eager to encourage and urge each other on. And I looked at that and I thought, ah, man, I was really already starting to process a sermon through this, but encourage one another. Isn't that a little bit namby-pamby, you know, sort of shame, Uh, you got a little bit of a boo-boo. But what I've discovered about that simple single word encouragement has literally, the best way I can describe it, has 
weaponized this verse in my life. And I want to show you what I found. Three things that completely recalibrated my understanding of that single word encouragement. And here are the three things. Firstly, one of the things I discovered during lockdown 2.0, because I'm doing a lot of reading and I'm, I'm going through the process of grief and trauma and trying to understand what's going on deep down inside of me because of this on the back of lockdown and already being empty. One of the things I found was there have been plenty studies looking at the emotional and psychological influence of lockdown on us. And there's some very dark rabbit holes that we can go down in terms of depression and emotional bankruptcy. But there was something, and this was the first thing that sort of began to tweak my interest in this word encouragement. And this is what I found. The University of UCLA published their findings and they said that we need eight to 10 positive interactions every single day just to maintain a healthy physical and emotional standard. Eight to 10 positive interactions every single day. I'd like to put in there eight to 10 kingdom community interactions just to keep us afloat. Now you think back over the last few weeks and months, it, it might be months since you had that last deep community connection. And across South Africa, within our families and personally, it means we're living disconnected and discouraged. So that got my attention because now I'm suddenly seeing on my radar, actually, this verse is rather important. Maybe this guy knew what he was talking about when he was writing to the Hebrews who were going through their very own lockdown and disconnect and, and uh, despondency. Then the second thing, and this hole got a little bit darker when I, I read this. This is from a kind of a social commentator. He's a clinical psychologist and he says this. It says, praising others, now, uh, for our uh, concerns, encouraging one another, does not come easily to human nature. We like to receive praise, but not to give it. Criticizing comes much easier because we feel more comfortable looking down on people. He says, praising or encouraging involves looking up in admiration. And our necks, I love the way he writes, our necks and egos tend to create and ache, or sorry, tend to creak and ache when we attempt it. Affirmation or encouragement or coming along some, uh, alongside someone or speaking into their life is also discouraged by powerful social trends where cynicism, distrust, suspicion, negativity, envy, political strife and bad news at home and abroad all combine to chill our hearts and shrink our souls. So you're looking at the situation that the writer to the Hebrews is speaking encouragement into, and you realize they're in the same position as we are. We have this problem. We are disconnected and discouraged and disillusioned. We are, we're carrying the weight of 2020. But then you look in on yourself, and as David Murray says, we don't have it in us to encourage others. Well, as the Bible says, words kill, words give life. They either poison or give fruit. You choose. And so what David Murray is saying, in the light of this desperate need, actually we find within ourselves, in our human nature, a likelihood rather to speak disparagingly than encouragingly. So that was the second thing. I'm suddenly going, okay, Lord, you've got my attention. This is my nature. I, I'm very cynical and uh, quick to criticize and complain. But you have said that we should not neglect gathering together. But one of the primary things we need to do when we do gather together is encourage one, one another. And I'm starting to see the need and the weightiness of the scripture. And I said, <clears throat> okay, Lord, now, now please show me. What does this really mean? How do I encourage? Is it sending a little note or a WhatsApp or a you know, pat on the back? And this is what I found. 
The word encouragement is the Greek word parakaleo. And just on the surface level, it means this. It means to call out what God has placed within us. So it's not, a, not just a pat on the back. To call out what God has placed within us. To call out of your children what God has placed in them. To call out of your boss what God has placed in him or her. And what's very interesting is this is a word from the ancient Near East that was literally taken, copy and paste, put into scripture from the immediate context. And it was used in the ancient Near East specifically to refer to a general or a commander of an army when his army is facing potential defeat and they're surrounded by enemies. He would then parakaleo, he would step into their midst and lay a hold of them, put a charge, a fire in their bones and send them out to war. You know, like uh, brave hearts. They can take our lives, but they cannot take our freedom. Or as Winston Churchill was known as having, he was often referred to as a guy who had mastered the English language and sent it out to war. And that is what the writer to the Hebrews is encouraging us to do. He's telling us we need to master the art of encouragement and send it out to war. That's why I say God has literally weaponized this verse in my life. One Bible scholar unpacks Parakaleo like this. He says, to come alongside those who have lost courage, wrap them in it, fill them with it, so that they can stand firm in the midst of the challenges they are facing in their day-to-day -day life, aka 2020. That is what it means to Parakaleo, that very simple very small word that has so much built into it to come alongside those who have lost courage, wrap them in it, fill them with it so that they can stand firm in the midst of the challenges they're facing in their day-to-day -day life. Because I didn't have hands that I could use for a good two months, my life group bought me a whole bunch of credits for audiobooks. And one audiobook that I really want to recommend to you is by the author Mark Chansky. And the, the book is called Encouragement, Adrenaline for the Soul. And spoiler alert if you do want to read it, but his basic premise is that what adrenaline does for the body, encouragement does for the soul. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard those stories of those impossible feats. The one that caught my attention on the back of my accident was a car that had hit a cyclist and the cyclist got trapped underneath and a bystander came and, and lifted the car enough to get the cyclist out from underneath this car. Or another one where a, a bunch of kids were playing outside and they were attacked by a bear and the mother just ran in between the bear and the children, you know, your everyday life in Canada, I suppose. But she literally wrestled this bear. It took four shots to put this bear down eventually. But this little lady stepped in between the bear and her kids because that's what adrenaline does. Somehow it just creates this supernatural response in you. Or my favorite, I actually found this on the CNN website, where a young lady, she was petite, just 22 years old, her dad was a mechanic and for some reason she went to the garage to give him coffee or coke or something and as she walked in she discovered that one of the jacks of the car had collapsed and this car had literally fallen on her dad's chest the full weight crushing him he was unconscious under this weight of the car and so she as a 22 year old little lady comes alongside the car deadlifts this car and gets him out and they say they guesstimate she deadlifts between 700 and 800 kilograms to get the car off of him. But the world record for deadlifting is 501 kilograms. He has this 20 year old little lady deadlifting about 700 plus kgs. But that's not all. She's now lifted the car. He's unconscious. Somehow she must have let one hand go. I don't know. And pulls her dad out before rushing him off to hospital. And, and uh, miraculously he recovers. But basically what uh, 
this guy Mark Chansky is saying, the premise of the book is what happened there in that moment, what adrenaline does, because the, the science behind there is how your neural network and your limbic system kicks in and, and uh, all the, the nerves seem to get this kick of adrenaline and, and it pumps hormones into your body, etc., etc. And all these motor units allow what is natural to become supernatural. But Mark Chansky is saying, in the same way, words of encouragement do that for our soul. And he says the reason why, he says the reason what adrenaline is able to do chemically and physiologically to the body, encouragement is able to do to our souls. The reason why is because when you encourage, you are tapping into the very nature and character of a supernatural God. And I want to show you what he means by that. See, if what adrenaline does to the body, encouragement does to the soul because of the tapping into the nature of God, I want to show you what that nature looks like. So... This is our Heavenly Father. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, All praises belong to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for He is the Father of tender mercy and the God of endless encouragement, endless parakaleo. I love the fact that the Passion Translation puts in endless, because I don't know if you know the word omnipotent, endless power, omniscient, endless knowledge, or omnipresence, endless presence. This is omni-parakaleo, the very nature and character of our Heavenly Father. It goes on to say, He always comes alongside us to encourage us, parakaleo, in every suffering so that we can come alongside those who are in any painful trial. We can bring them the same encouragement, the same parakaleo that is part of the nature and character of our Father and that very nature that God has poured out on us. So that's our Heavenly Father. It says this of Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 2.16, may our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement, parakaleo and hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in all you do. Eternal encouragement. That is the very nature and character of Jesus. Not just a word that falls like a stone to the ground, but a seed that goes on bearing fruit. This is the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John 14, 26, he's saying he's about to go away. And then he says these uh, legendary words. He says, but when I go, I will send a helper, the Holy Spirit. And that word helper is parakletos, the personalized version of parakaleo. It is the very person of the Holy Spirit who imparts life through our encouragement. Now, if I can just pastor for a second, I want to tell you this. This means if the very nature of our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, is encouragement, endless encouragement, that means that when you and I come in line with encouragement, we're literally coming in line with the very ministry, the nature, the character, the resources, the purposes, the power of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have the resources of heaven available to us when we do that. But... And this is where I want to be pastor for a little bit. If we are constantly cynical, if we're always criticizing, we should see that as being immature spiritually. Because it means that we are not taking on the nature and character of the God that we serve. We're not allowing the Holy Spirit to fashion and form Christ in us. We should see that as being immature spirituality. Always being negative. Always having something uh, cynical to say, always seeing the glass half empty. Now, it's easy for us to see that on paper. We can go, yes and amen, and you know, wonderful, let's close in prayer. But I want to take it one step further 
And I want to say, what comes to mind when I say the word clicks? Or what about Black Lives Matter, Julius Malema, or ESCOM, or schooling 2020? What about your spouse, your wife, your husband, your boss? What about your kids who are becoming teenagers? What springs to life? What comes out? Is it the life and ministry of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through constant, endless parakaleo, endless encouragement, stepping and wading into that mess and bringing life and hope and the gospel, applying those words of encouragement to hearts that are struggling, broken, dark? Or are we quick to criticize and complain because we are spiritually immature? I read a fascinating a story by, uh, it's an account of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor, a famous preacher and author, but he was a pastor during World War II and he got put into prison. And it's not just horrible being in prison. One of the things that really weighed on Dietrich Bonhoeffer was the fact that he was engaged to get married. And his fiancee, Maria, basically had to face the rest of the war on her own. And he managed to find a way where he could smuggle some uh, letters out Somehow, <laughs> prisoners, what prison was. And so what he started doing was he wrote these little letters of encouragement. But he was a, a real romantic. He would write her poems. And whenever he got the chance, a little piece of lead and paper, however he scratched the, these notes, he would smuggle them out and Maria would be encouraged by it. One of, one of his most popular was called Next Year. It was a poem that he wrote because when he went into prison, there were signs that Germany might surrender anytime soon. And he wrote this poem called next year because he was saying to her, you know what, if Germany surrenders this time next year, you and I can be married. All of this can be behind us. And just to encourage her, but also said, if not, God can still be trusted. God is in our midst. We can lean in on him. We can draw strength from him. And he would encourage her relentlessly. Unfortunately, through tragic circumstances and situations, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed literally days before Hitler surrendered. And he never got to marry his sweet Maria. But as a tribute to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, she actually published those poems and those letters of encouragement. And uh, she put them on the shelves almost as a, a monument to who he was and how she was strengthened and encouraged through those letters. Tick on time for many years, many thousands of kilometers away, an American author named Joseph Bailey was going through his own trauma. He lost his two young kids almost back to back in a very short time. And he was grieving as a dad. And in that moment, he lost his eldest son. His son was 18 years old. It was a freak skiing accident, but his son was also engaged to be married. But in the midst of this, Joseph Bailey is completely traumatized and crushed by what he's going through. And the girl that his son was going to marry was handed one of those books that Maria had published with those poems in it, person saying to this young girl saying, well, you know, this was written in the context of a fiance uh, losing a loved one. Maybe you'll find some encouragement from that. And this young girl did. Her life was radically strengthened and encouraged. But Joseph Bailey was struggling because he was an author, which means you're creative, which means that in, in a very dark space, you just, you can't even think, let alone write. So there was no income, there was the financial pressure, there was the emotional trauma. And in this deep dark hole, this young girl thought, well, maybe he can be encouraged by these words that were smuggled out from prison. Opening this up, Joseph Bailey tells of how deeply he was encouraged. His life literally started to be pieced together, piece by piece, block by block, so much so that his entire family was affected by it. And he thought as a tribute, 
in one of his books, he's actually going to include some of these stanzas, some of these words that encouraged him. That is the power of scribbled words of encouragement smuggled out of a prison. And that would be incredible. But there's more. Decades later, Joseph Bailey receives a thank you letter from a reader. And I want to read it to you. It says the following. Dear Joseph, I'm a hospital chaplain. I have the privilege of visiting people dying of cancer. As I was making my rounds, I came across a woman in the final stages of her fight with cancer, but she was in a particularly dark space. Life had been harsh and dark for her. I visited her several times, but just didn't get a breakthrough. He says, I was so deeply touched by your book on heaven and the hope and encouragement that I found. I thought maybe just maybe this will encourage her. So he says, I passed it on to this woman. And when I went to visit her the next day, she told me the story. She said, I stayed up all night reading this book from cover to cover. And the words to him was that she had, it had fundamentally resurrected her hope. She said it filled her with the joy and expectation of what lay ahead and brought her great comfort before she died. Her name, Maria, 57 years old, dying of cancer, alone in a foreign nation, after a life that had just been a time of battering and bruising from losing her fiance to two failed marriages and kids that had alienated her on her own, God allows this encouragement to come full circle because when, when we commit to applying this to our everyday life, we have no idea what God will do with simple words of encouragement, that he will track you down decades later and encourage you again because it is endless parakaleo, eternal encouragement because it carries the very seedbed and life of our Heavenly Father. Even a simple phone call. Tony Scarcello tells one particular phone call. He was a young man. He had made some horrific decisions in his life. Life was falling apart. He was so riddled with guilt and shame. He had gotten to the point where he had snuck into his parents' room and taken his father's gun. He was sitting in his bedroom, the gun on his desk, trying to build up the determination to end his life. And he tells how dark that place was. He was at the point where he was now busy thinking through, you know, what's it going to be like? This massive sound at, at 1 or 1.30 in the morning. His parents are going to rush through. And he genuinely believed when they saw what he had done that his parents would be so relieved, finally. I'm so glad he did that so we didn't have to kick him out and, and you know, go through that awkwardness of getting him out of our lives. That, I mean, when you're thinking those thoughts, you are in a very dark and difficult place. So he's sitting there and he tells the story of how his phone rings, 1.30 in the morning. Who phones at that time of the day or night? And it's his friend who was part of youth back in the day. And this guy says to him, he says, listen, I was playing games, you know, gaming with a bunch of friends as students do, I suppose, at 1.30 in the morning. And he says, and your, your name sort of popped into my head. And he said, the more I played, the more your name sort of just began to go from my head to my heart. And eventually it got to the place, he said, I know this is going to sound really weird, but I started getting emotional while I'm gaming. So he says he excused himself from the room, went outside just to you know, sort of blink back the tears. And he started to pray for Tony. And then he felt he should phone Tony, which he was doing, to encourage him. And so he just encouraged Tony, saying, hey man, God knows what you're going through. He's there for you. You can trust him. You can lean into him. And then he said, hey, why don't you grab a Bible and read Psalm 5 with me? He said, I just read it that morning and, and there's a lot of similarities. You know, he, he didn't know what was going on with, with Tony, but in terms of struggling and depression and, and the th valleys of life and the, re the 
need of encouragement. So he said, please just, just read that to me. So Tony read Psalm 5 and he, he tells how it's all about David who's going through deep, dark valleys and he's crying out to God. And David is saying, yeah, I'm starting to realize you hear every groan, every sigh. You see me, you're near to me, you're leaning in on me. And then David realizes that God and his love is so unconditional that he can still come to God, even though his life is in a mess, even though he's struggling. And in this process, the encouragement starts to leak into Tony's heart. He ends the phone call. He didn't actually tell his mate what he was going through. He says how he was so riddled with guilt and shame. Ends the phone call. Now he's a little bit rattled, but he still wants to go through with it. He thinks, you know, he's just going to clear his head. He walks through the kitchen, plans to come back. As he walks into the kitchen, he tells of how his mom had one of these real cheesy stained glass window kind of crosses press sticked onto the window. And as he walked in, the streetlight sort of glinted through the yellow of the cross and caught his attention. And he describes how that phone call had just created enough space in his heart for the voice of God to speak to him and say, what I did on the cross was enough for you. And I tell you that story because I want you to see how the power of a single act of encouragement, a single phone call, has the seedbed, the character, the life and nature of God and the gospel that when it's applied to a person's heart, it can literally take death and turn it to life. Because Tony didn't go through with what he was planning to go through. Today, he's a pastor, public speaker, he's married, got kids, and God has restored him miraculously to the point where I had the privilege of hearing the story. And I share it with you today because the writer to the Hebrews, knowing what they're going through, says, don't neglect the gathering together of the saints. But fundamentally, primarily, when you gather, make sure you're applying the gospel through encouragement, parakaleo, the nature of God to those around you. Because so many, so many, not just in Freedom Church, not just in 3CR, not just in Pretoria, but so many around the world, Friends, family, business people that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Our kids, teachers, our children. So many are under the weight of 2020. Dis uh, disconnected, discouraged, maybe disappointed with themselves. Guilt and shame. So many have the weight of business and financial pressure like Joseph Bailey or the loss of a loved one. So many, one pastor actually says, are walking around with shrapnel in their souls because of what others have said to them in this time. An unguarded moment, an ungracious word. And my charge to you, Freedom Church, is that we apply Hebrews 10.25 to our lives. Not just today or tomorrow, but ongoingly as we take on the nature and character of God. And like they said of Winston Churchill, let you and I be those who take Hebrews 10.25, master the art of encouragement, and send it out to war into the lives of those who are struggling around us.